Well, good evening. Tonight we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9, and our focal passage is 11 through 14, but we'll, we'll look at a lot in, uh, in, in chapter 9. So the book of Hebrews uh, was written to the Israelite people, the Hebrews who were believers in Jesus Christ. And, and one of the primary goals of the book is to show them uh, that Christ is superior to or greater than the Old Covenant. Because many of them would have grown up, obviously, being Hebrews. They would have been raised under the following of the traditions of the Old Covenant. And as believers, he's, he's encouraging them, he's teaching them, and he's also, uh, probably as the book would be read by some of the other Hebrews, He's uh, evangelizing them and teaching them about how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the old covenant. He is better than the old covenant. That old covenant being bound by law and prophets, priesthood and sacrifices. And in the new covenant, Christ comes <clears throat> as the fulfillment of the law and prophets and the perfection of the priesthood and the once and for all sacrifice that would fully atone for the sins of man. And in Christ, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of all of our trespasses, all according to the riches of his grace and mercy. So as we begin tonight, let's read our focal passage and then uh, I have uh, a few things that I want us to, um, to see in, in scripture and I'll give you those points once we've, once we've read. So this is Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood and oats, uh, goats and bulls and ashes of young cow, sprinkling those who were defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness, our consciences from death, from dead works, so that we can serve the living God. So tonight as we talk about redemption through the blood, I want us to see three things. One, that we're redeemed from sin. Two, that we are redeemed from dead works. And thirdly, that we are redeemed to serve the living God. So redeemed from sin, redeemed from dead works, and re redeemed to serve the living God. <clears throat> Under the old covenant that God had established, there was a sacrificial system uh, in place to atone for the sins of man. And there were different types of offerings that they were to offer based upon the type of sin. Those offerings, in, in some cases, were drink offerings or grain offerings. But the primary offering that they were to offer to cover sin was that of an animal sacrifice and one that involved the spilling of the animal's blood. That blood that was shed during the sacrifice of that animal was then used to offer an atonement for the sin of the man or of the people. 
And while this concept of animal sacrifice is kind of odd for us, and anytime we think about animal sacrifice, I think sometimes we're kind of like, we're really careful to be like, well, wait a minute, you know, that's wrong, right? But we, we need to remember that under the old covenant, animal sacrifice was absolutely part of the worship of God. And so as the Israelite people had the sacrificial system set up and given to Moses and Aaron, they began to follow year by year, day by day, sacrificing, killing of animals and shedding of blood to cover their sins. The sacrifices would serve as an ever-present reminder of their sin as individuals and their sin as a, pe- as a people, and it would serve as a reminder of the consequences. And as scripture will tell us, the wages of sin is death. But this system of sacrificing animals and the covering of, of the sin and, and, and cleansing externally of, of people through the blood of animals is not the way that God had intended it to be. It was not the way that it was in the beginning. It was not what God had desired, and God would have a plan. But let's first look at this redemption from sin. In Hebrews chapter 9, if you look back just at the first, uh, first few verses here, Uh, starting in verse one, it says, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, and it was called the holy place. And then behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And having golden altar and incense and the ark of the covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. This description that we have here is a description of the inside of the tabernacle, the meeting place with God. It had the holy place where the the priest would go, but inside and the very inside was the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant resided. And each year, the priest would enter into the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, after they had gone through a period of ritual cleansing on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And the priest would offer incense and sprinkle blood from a sacrificed animal onto the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. He was doing this to atone for the sins of the people. This atonement of the sins of the people had to be done year after year. It was that yearly reminder that I mentioned earlier for the people. It was a a, a large, important part of their year, a part of their new year for them to understand that God was forgiving their sin and they were to try to live better in the new year. It illustrated the need for sacrifice and for blood. Moses in Leviticus 17.11 is told by God that The life of flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So the priests would go in and they would offer blood on the altar in order to cover the sins. And as Christ comes, Christ replaces the need for animal sacrifice. He replaces the need for blood. 
He replaces the need for an annual sacrifice for sins by his once and for all sacrifice. As the priest would go in and make their sacrifice, they were doing so to cover sin, but as Christ went to the cross and died and shed his own blood, he broke the power of sin not for a year, but he broke it for all time. His atoning death and his blood that he shed on the cross were not done so that God would be appeased or that an atonement would take place for the external for a year. He did it so that it would be completely through the person, cleansing the consciousness, cleansing the soul, cleansing the external as well, and doing it for all time. In Hebrews 6 uh, through 10, it talks a little bit further about these, these rituals, and it says that the preparations were made, and the priest would go regularly into the first section and perform those duties. And they were doing so for even the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place was not yet opened as long as the first section was standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So even the temple itself and the way that it was designed was symbolic for the separation between God and the people because of the sin. And according to the arrangement, the gifts, sacrifices are offered, they cannot be perfect. They cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations in the body imposed until the time of reformation. Indeed, many years later, that time of reformation would come when God would send his only son, Jesus Christ, and he would shed his blood on the cross, make atonement for the souls of men. His sacrifice would be given upon the altar of the cross, and his life and blood would be offered as the perfect atoning sacrifice for the sins of men once and for all. It is under this new covenant that we are redeemed. It is under this new covenant that we are redeemed from our sin. It is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have forgiveness of sins. And it is only through faith in him that we receive forgiveness. So in sending his son Jesus God perfected the old covenant in Christ and he broke the power of sin once and for all. He redeemed us from sin and death. And he also redeemed us from dead works. In our focal passage, which is Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, we talk about redemption through the blood of Christ. And it says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent. Again, going back to the tent. The tent that they were worshiping in, the tabernacle that they were offering sacrifices in, is a picture of where Christ would go in heaven. That separation, if you guys remember when Christ is crucified on the cross, we have the, the uh, curtain in the temple that separates the Holy of Holies was torn. And it was ripped from top to bottom to separate access to God. So no longer would the people be required to follow through with the dead works, keeping up with the law, following the law, following the sacrificial system, because it was not the blood of goats and calves that God desired. That is not how he would secure our eternal redemption. Because if it was through the goats 
and bulls and the sprinkling of their blood on defiled persons, there would be no need for the sending of his son. But since we know that that is not the way that we are to be redeemed, since we know that those works are dead, how much more important is it that we have the sacrifice of Christ? How much more important is it that we have the blood of Christ offered on the cross? Christ perfecting that offering. He was without blemish. He had a pure conscience. He had never sinned. He had followed the law exactly. He had done what the priests could not do by following the law. And Christ took the place of the priest. When the priest would go in to offer the blood sacrifice, he could only enter into that holy of holies with the blood of an animal. But Christ, becoming the great high priest, entered the holy of holies not with the blood sacrifice of an animal, but he entered with his own blood. And as he entered and he, uh, as he went to the cross, his death freed us from sin. It freed us from dead works. And those dead works, not only are they the things that they did following the law, but they're things that we have struggles with today too. Things that we think we need to do to be saved. There are many people even today who put faith in works. They put faith in church attendance. They put faith in service. They put faith in how much money they give. No amount of church attendance, no amount of service, no amount of charity is going to save you. Those are dead works. The opposite is, is in fact true when we think about doing things to earn salvation. Because we have been saved, we will do things out of an overflow of our heart, out of an overflow of love, not out of an overflow of obligation. I don't know about you guys, but when I do things for my, my, my spouse, when I do things for Liz, out of love, I know that she appreciates them. She knows that I'm doing something not because I feel like I have to. If I huff and I just do it after she's reminded me three times, right? That's not me acting out of love. That's me acting out of obligation. And she doesn't appreciate it. As a matter of fact, my wife will sometimes tell me, just never mind. You know, don't bother. If you're going to huff and you're going to do it just because you feel like I'm forcing you to, never mind. And I think in, in this situation, that's that, that's same is true for us as followers of Jesus Christ. The things that we do in works are not done out of necessarily an obligation or a, a compulsion to do them. They're done out of our love for the Lord. And what do those things look like? What, what works are we talking about? Well, uh, we, we had a good conversation in, in Sunday school this morning about serving and how it looks for a person to follow Christ how it looks for a person to show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we, those things are manifested in our life, if we're showing that fruit of the Spirit, then the things that we do will be done in love. They will be done in service of other people. It will be done in a manner like we saw Christ do when Christ was here. And in doing so, we will be following the law, even though we're not doing it out of compulsion, we're doing it out of love. So as I mentioned, Christ 
is that perfect fulfillment of the law. He set us free from sin. He set us free from dead works. And unlike, unlike the, the first covenant, it is not a covenant in death. It is a covenant in life. The blood of Christ cleanses us completely, inside and out. And as we're freed from sin and we're freed from dead works, then we're freed, we're redeemed to serve the living God. We no longer serve the Lord out of obligation, but we serve him out of love for what he has done for us. We read back in chapter 9, verse 14 again. It says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Our good works are not justification for salvation, rather they're just evidence of our being saved. And when we, we think about how we, how we live our lives, when we think about how God has saved us, when we think about how he has paid the penalty for our sins, our love, our adoration, our faithful service to him and our fulfillment of the Great Commission should be an outpouring of that love. So in the Old Covenant, the things that held us, the things that kept us under the weight of the rituals were released. I have a story I want to share with you about redemption. Uh, this is something that happened to me a few years ago, and um, it's really something that I, I, I've, I've, I think about not as much as I, I, I used to, but something that I used to think about quite a bit. When we think about redemption, redemption is getting something back, at least this is, this is one of the ways of thinking about it, getting something back that belongs to you, except for it's going to cost you something to get back something that belonged to you. So back in 20, uh, 2008, I purchased a black Scion XB, all right? And you might be saying, hey, you've got one of those that's outside. Well, hold on a second. So I purchased a black Scion XB, and I worked hard, and I paid that vehicle off, and it was free and clear. I owned that car. And I had a young man that I had been discipling, had been working with, who needed a vehicle. And so we made a gentleman's agreement for that vehicle to be purchased by him. Zero percent interest, pay me regularly, but we will... Well, I will, I'll sell you the car at an extreme discount because I was trying to help him out. Well, after making a few payments, he quit paying. He quit responding when I would text him. He quit responding when I was calling him. I had a hard time getting a hold of him. When I, when I finally did, he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I've just been busy. He made one more payment, and I never heard from him again. I'd already transferred the title because I'm a halfway decent and honest person, and I assumed that he would be a man of his word. However, he was not, so that vehicle was gone, no longer mine, and just a few months later, I found out that the vehicle had been traded off, and he was driving a newer vehicle. Now, why do I have a 2008 Black Scion XB? Well, in an interesting turn of events, sometime later, I was in the need of another vehicle, 
and I found an excellent buy on a black 2008 Scion XB. And so a car that I had already owned and already paid for that was no longer in my possession, I went and I bought the exact same car that I already owned. Now you might say that's really silly, right? That's a really silly example. But it's an example of what we have with God and man. God had a right relationship with us. He had uh, the ability to walk in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve and talk with them, and he had the relationship with his creation, with, with, with his children. But they messed it up. They broke his law. They broke his heart. And they severed their relationship with him. But years later, God, knowing all of this ahead of time, had planned to restore, to redeem that relationship. And so he did what they could not do. He paid the penalty for their sins. He paid the price to get back that which was his, to get back that which had been lost. Way more important than a vehicle, right? And it is funny that I, that I still have that because I get asked all the time, that car looks really good. I'm like, well, <laughs> it was really taken care of by the people who owned it because it's not the original one, right? It was redeemed, right? And that silly example is, is important to me because sometimes I think that I would much rather have the relationship with that young man than that vehicle sitting in the parking lot. Not that, it, not that I care about the car at all, because I, I don't. I, I just wish that the relationship would be restored. And I believe that that's where God is at today. God wants for us to repent of our sin. He wants us to put aside our dead works. He wants to, uh, he wants to have us believe upon Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness through the redemption through Jesus' blood. He has already paid the price. He has already done everything that is necessary. The call for salvation is to repent and believe. It is not to repent and believe and do these 75 other things. He has done everything that is necessary for that relationship to be restored. And the question for us today is, will you respond? The gospel call goes out from this pulpit every single time a pastor preaches in it. Will you respond? Will you respond in love? And will you respond by taking that same message to the world? Will you respond by taking that message to your workplace? Will you respond by taking that message out of here in the way that you live your life? Since we have been redeemed of sin, we have been redeemed of our dead works, and we have been redeemed to serve the living God. Our call to worship this evening was, was from Colossians 3, 23 through 24. And in that it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We have been redeemed through his blood. We have forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. 
what will we do with that? Will we believe? Will we follow? Will we live as he has instructed us to? Or will we return to the things that he has already redeemed us from? Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. We thank you for how you have worked in our hearts and worked in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you have broken the power of sin and death. We thank you that, Lord, you've, you've released us from the, the power of dead works where we might try to put our faith in, in other things instead of you, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live triumphant lives, lives in service to you, lives loving other people, Life's Lord, that would be honoring and glorifying to your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to do your will. We pray that you would keep us safe. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.